Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast Thursday edition. My name is Jake and I am joined this week by my wife, Sarah. She helps lead the outreach team and occasionally will join me on the podcast, especially when we have some of our more fun episodes, because she's a lot of fun. And so, uh, Sarah, are you excited for Resurrection Sunday and Easter this weekend? I am, yeah. I love Easter. It's one of my favorite holidays. Um, and I am also ready for Lent to be over. If I'm being honest, I really miss Instagram. Oh, yeah. You've been much more diligent than I have on our Lenten commitments. So you were giving up Instagram throughout the week or what? just let everybody know what you were kind of doing for Lent. Um, well, the intention was to give up Instagram Monday through Saturday with um, Sunday kind of being a celebration or the, like a traditional fasting or feasting day, sorry. And then the time that I'm not on Instagram, I would ideally spend that time um, just more intentionally in prayer or in meditation. But I've kind of failed at that part. So I've been pretty good about staying off Instagram, but not so great with replacing it with a spiritual element or connection with the Lord. Gotcha. Well, it's all right. There's still a few days left. You can come through (laughs) on that. Um, But hey, and so as you're listening to this, uh, this episode is going to come out on uh, Thursday, on Passover Thursday, Maundy Thursday. And uh, I'm excited about that. We're going to do some things in our household to celebrate that. Just if if nothing else, take, uh, observe the Lord's Supper together and uh, just remember Jesus's conversation with his disciples. Um, But that's not today. Today's episode is all about Easter and Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to have some fun, Woo-hoo. and then we're going to have some spiritual application at the end and kind of tie it all back together to something that's hopefully a little more meaningful than maybe the first half. But I uh, hope to make you laugh, hope to make you think, and I hope that you enjoy this episode. Um, let's just get right into it. How does that sound? Yeah, it sounds great. Okay, so as we kind of joked about in our last podcast, is it is it Easter Sunday? Is it Resurrection Sunday? We're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday at Mission City. So I thought it would be appropriate, and maybe some people would disagree that this is completely inappropriate. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but I thought it would be fun to rank our top five resurrections. Spoiler alert, Jesus is going to be number one, uh, just for anybody that's got a little uneasy there as we said that, but uh, top five resurrections from our perspective. Number one, I have Robert Downey Jr. Uh, guy, he was had a really popular TV show. You might not be familiar with this, but the Ally McBeal show was like a really popular thing back in the day, um, not that long ago, but anyway. Uh, he kind of fell off the map for a little while, had some drug issues, some just life issues going on. And then uh, basically being Iron Man kind of resurrected his career to then having some different roles, playing a key figure in the Marvel series, which has been wildly successful and really just like kind of brought him back from the dead. Uh, so that's my number five. Remember, this is top five. That's number five. It's an introduction to the idea that we're going into here. So you're kind of looking at me like you have no idea who this is or why he would be on this list. 
I don't know who this is. I've heard the name and I have seen Iron Man or okay. a Marvel movie. Um, and I think I know he wears glasses in one Correct. of those movies. Tony um, Stark. But the show that you're talking about. I'll re- totally over your head. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. No, how, no problem. How old is it? You said um, back in the day, like you're like Yeah, I want to say it was like, man. no, it was like 80s or 90s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it wasn't that long ago. Let's move on. Okay. Yeah. Number four. <laughs> Number four, and this yeah. is much more exciting and probably more relatable for everyone, is live events. What a resurrection, you know, from the <laughs> pandemic when we could not go outside or not go to these live events where you're having sports events with no fans and concerts that were over Zoom and all of that. Now we can be back in person for most of the country at least and uh, have fans in the stands. And I am applauding the resurrection of live events for sports and concerts and things like that. Yeah. Are we going to go to a baseball game this summer? It would be wrong if we didn't. It's, it would be. It's uh, America's summer pastime. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but it's kind of a big deal. All right. You want to move on to the next one? Yeah. This next one I have some thoughts on. So Wonderful. Let's, finally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rude. Uh, I, <laughs> so number three, and this is totally uh, just like me as a guy and not fashionable, but mom jeans. The resurrection of mom jeans as a fashionable thing. Maybe it's like they're already not even cool again. Well, uh, so maybe I've already missed the boat on this. That's what I wanted to say. Like, okay. this is just classic you. Like, already behind a little the bit behind. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess now it's kind of like wear whatever jean you want. Um, but some people have dabbled into the like hip hugger low rise jeans, which is not a good look is that a so, but it's a no. it's a comeback right like pretty much everything mm-hmm. in fashion at some point is just a new version of what used to be trendy right at this point it's like wear whatever jeans make you feel like you like that's so 2022 of us shout out madewell jeans Excellent. don't buy any other no brand. free ads right um <laughs> Anyway, okay, so uh, anyway, it, pretty much any fashion trend could probably fit in that. I'm going to call it mom jeans. All right, number two, this one is a little spicy, Britney Spears. Britney Spears with the comeback. I think she's pregnant now maybe, um, but she is in the news. They had the whole documentary about her funds being withheld from her by her guardianship and all of that. It was like... When we were really young, she was popular, and then there was a break for about 10 years where it was like she just kind of went crazy or a little bit or something. I, like, I'm not going to say that she went crazy. Actually, that's, that's probably wrong of me. I don't know her. Um, I'm not going to make any assumptions. But there were some changes that would allude to some people thinking she might have gone off the deep end a little bit. Uh, and then we didn't hear from her for a while. And now she's touring again. There's all kinds of stuff going on. She's got Netflix specials. So Britney Spears is number two resurrection. I've got a couple questions for you around okay. the Britney Spears conversation. First of all, you spelt her name wrong in the notes. Um, did I? Classic mistake. Can we get you a spell did. check on that? We Wait, did I spell did. Britney or Spears wrong? Britney. Okay. Anyway, well, okay. that's anyway. not. I'm not going to take um, punishment for that. <laughs> ha- did you watch the free Britney documentary on Hulu? I think we watched it together, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> did we i don't know okay. anyway, i think i think i watched parts of it at least okay yeah and then second question um did you ever go to a britney spears concert no i did not as we've discussed previously growing up at that age my only concerts were rodeos uh growing up in a small farm town uh that's all i knew of what a concert was so thank you for I... introducing me to concerts by the way appreciate that <laughs> I begged my mom to take me to a Britney Spears concert, but 
she was a little risque for your average churchgoer fair eight-year-old fair fair okay and as promised number one is jesus obviously the reason for the season and uh the number one far and above (laughs) resurrection of all time the reason for the season you got your wrong holiday man and is the resurrection (laughs) not the reason for easter i mean it is have you heard the saying um you're the reason for the season instead of like jesus is the reason for the season like he wouldn't have had to come if we didn't sin so my sin is the reason for the season? Right. Turn it into a bumper sticker. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, still, for our purposes here, number one resurrection and moving on. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, our second kind of game or fun activity is going to be, we want to spend some time coming up with the most ideal Easter outfit. So there's got to be some pastel involved. Maybe some pink, maybe some blue, guy or girl, uh, or guy and girl, and just kind of what's what's the go-to of 2022? Oh, 2022? See, when I read this, my mind immediately went to like, ooh, ideal Easter outfit. Now we're having outfits for holidays. Um, Every time but, we go shopping around Easter, you tell me that there's like, <laughs> that would be a good outfit. Easter shirt. Right. That would be a good Easter. You're yeah. right. I was just thinking of how like as a kid, my grandma would buy us these white dresses with ruffles at the bottom. They'd poof out um, and I'd always match my little sister and we'd have gloves on our hands and we'd put our hair in sponge curlers. Um, so that's what I channel that energy when I think about Easter outfits, I guess. I feel like you just brought an episode of Bridgerton to real life for me, like a modernized version of it. Oh my gosh. That's an amazing comparison. Like imagine that type of outfit on a five-year-old and that was me. And then we'd match and have obnoxious curly frizzy hair and it was lovely. Is that ideal? No. Okay. No, they were itchy and our socks even had ruffles. It was right. like a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I think like pastel colors, that's a good start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I have to say it, whatever you're comfortable in. Of course. Um, we want people to show up to church and what they're comfortable in. Absolutely. I don't even know what I'll be wearing because it's going to be like 40 degrees here in it's Kansas tough. City. So. Um, I don't know. What were you thinking when you wrote this? I think I was hoping for, I don't really know what I was hoping for. This was kind of a, just, I was going to give you the ball and that you run with it. So oh, gotcha. that's okay. Yeah. Honestly, it stresses me out a little bit. Cause like most Sundays are pretty casual. So the idea of like one Sunday being like a really special outfit, it just kind of stresses me out. Like I, I don't know, but I I enjoy dressing up and I like the hype around the holiday. So okay, let me let me phrase it this way, Tim. To you, this is just this just hit me as you were talking. So like, yeah. I think, um, you know, there was a time when what you wore to church just on a regular basis was like a big deal. You mm-hmm. know, like you mm-hmm. weren't for a while allowed to wear jeans to church, and then everyone in the audience could wear jeans. Just not their pastor could wear jeans. Right, you now, had to wear a tie if you're the pastor. Correct. Yeah. And now skinny jeans and like a plain black t-shirt is about like the going outfit for, you know, the pastor at a lot of modern churches or, um, you know, so I guess what's the 
new age. Like I don't want to maybe feel like I have to put on a show Easter outfit, but at the same time, like I'm, you know, I'm acknowledging that it's Easter. So maybe we're talking like, you said something like 40. If it was nicer, maybe like khaki shorts and a pink button up or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or a sundress. Like if you're female, a sundress and sandals, but sure. I really want it to be said that like, we don't care what you wear. You we know? really don't. No, that's, we don't. That's the ideal outfit. Is that something that you're comfortable in? Exactly. Look at us. Yeah. Progressive. All right. Um, let's wrap up our kind of our fun. Yeah, that's probably a first good idea. half of the podcast here with this last uh, idea here. We want to rank the best ways to decorate eggs. The reason why I thought about this was because growing up, I was trying to think of an, a memory that I had growing up. I wanted to go back to a memory in my childhood that made me think of Easter. And honestly, I don't have a whole lot, like don't think about Easter a whole lot other than I remember being so concerned about decorating Easter eggs as a child. And the way that we would do it in my household was that we had these like Easter egg holders or like just egg holder, I guess. Not, nothing special about an Easter egg, but... Um, and then we would dip them. We'd have like red solo cups that had like food coloring in them, and mm-hmm. you just dip it in and hold it for a certain amount of time, and then it would you know color that or whatever. Occasionally, we might throw in like one of those like clear crayons or something, you know, to yeah. make like white. It never worked as well as they made it. You think they would, right? Um, but I just remember decorating Easter eggs that way, being like. That's the tradition for some reason that stands out in my mind for Easter. And so I'm sure that you, your eggs would have turned out much better than mine did. Uh, typically, mine just end up black because I'd get one color. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I, I need a different color. And then by the time I hit like three or four colors, it was mm-hmm. like, this is just a dark brown, black blob. Right. Um, so we always had an egg like that, at least one. And I, I don't know. It might have been a different sibling every year. It could have just been me every year doing the gross egg um but we also always had a competition amongst my siblings who could get the most vibrant looking egg so we'd like plop an egg in and claim that color for like the rest of the time and looking back like nobody else could use the color when we had an egg in it so it was pretty obnoxious and it never like made that much of a difference you know I feel like after a certain chunk of time it's all soaked up but yeah dipping was the way to go yeah did you ever have one of those cranks that you could like dip half of the egg in versus like the full egg no you just had to have a steady hand <laughs> like, you just had to put your an egg halfway in and I hold bet it there. your eggs were beautiful <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks um there was a that was dripping with sarcasm um yeah. speaking of dripping a new oh, a new technique that I have discovered. By the way, there's like so many different ways that people are decorating Easter eggs now other than just holding them into the water. But dripping is a new way. It actually looked pretty cool. Uh, I'm, I know that this is probably one of those things that you see on like the internet and it looks really cool and then it never turns out to be the way that you think it's supposed to look. But like you just hold some kind of coloring, some kind of dye over the top of the egg and then you just drip like a little bit at a time and it runs because an egg of the shape of it, it's going to hit the top and then kind of just randomly run down whichever part of it, it hits first. And so you come up with this like tie dyed striped looking egg, just based off of how the liquid drips down the side of it as you hold the dropper over it. I thought it looked pretty cool, but that's kind of my, I'm ranking that as like, since I'm not really familiar with it as number five. 
That's my yeah. number five. Yeah, it sounds like you'd have to do it like really well. Um, the next one, number four, sponged. I'm interested. You just take a sponge and like blob it on. So you cut out shapes in the sponge. So instead of like it being like oh, it becomes a stamp. Yeah, exactly. Stamping okay. is another. Yeah, I thought about how to name that, but yeah. So you would cut out a shape, or maybe you buy shapes and just mm-hmm. dip the dye and then hold it against it and yeah, stamp it or sponge it. Yeah. I feel like we probably could have come up with like uh, best ways to dye Easter eggs and then like a like worst ways. Like people now are just doing stickers or markers, which I get. Lazy. You have lazy well, lazy egg decorators. If you have a toddler and <laughs> I don't know, could get messy, so. That's fair. Okay. So next we have you can just paint eggs, which sounds so basic to me and so obvious but growing (laughs) up that's like no you're gonna hold them over this cup of dye for like five minutes till your hand starts cramping and then that's the time that you know that's probably done and you can pull it out and let it dry before you put on your second coat so people just paint their eggs with acrylics or watercolors watercolors mostly or i think you can do it with either probably somebody is listening to this right now who paints their eggs and like no absolutely not there has to be a certain egg paint but definitely watercolor it couldn't be acrylic because you have to be able to eat it do you eat the eggs oh are you a no (laughs) oh man that was the best part so you literally just dyed your eggs well you dye them and then and then you turn around and eat them no no because they're for like they're to look at so you display (laughs) them and then by the time that they're like they've been displayed you don't want to eat them at that point uh, I mean, I guess we displayed a few of them, and then the rest we would put in our fridge. But we also had five kids dying Easter eggs, so we had a lot of eggs to consume. Or... Yeah, that sounds like a mess. <laughs> it was a great time. <laughs> okay, uh, you can also draw on eggs. This was new to me as well. I'm going to, spoiler, if, in case you haven't picked it up yet, I didn't even know these existed prior to looking, just a quick Google search. So I thought you just dyed eggs. I thought that was the only way you did it. Um, my sister has a new spinny gadget. It's part of drawing, but you set your egg in the middle of it and then it just spins the egg super fast. And her, uh, three-year-old holds the marker on top of the egg and then it just like it's a striker. Draws, yeah, yeah, it's wow. really cool. It tur- They turn out really great. And for like a child to be doing it, they're beautiful eggs. Sure, probably mm-hmm. less messy too. Do you know where this got started? Like why do we decorate eggs for Easter? I do actually. I have some information on that. So if you go back to, I, I don't have the, I wish I'm lacking in detail, but the general idea, and mostly because the sites that I looked at were lacking in detail as well. But the general thought is that Easter eggs are used because uh, rabbits are so fertile creatures. And uh, so because they wanted to, they're like these eggs, um, which rabbits don't actually lay eggs, but (laughs) there's this magical Easter bunny. They're fertile uh, that would produce life. So Jesus is like the author of life or just resurrection, new life. Uh, Rabbits are a symbol of new life because of their 
fertilization or like how fertile they are all that and so that's how the easter bunny came around and then the eggs were about this like appeasing this magical easter bunny and that you were trying to make them look beautiful and everything and show that like this magical easter bunny had come through laying these beautiful eggs in the yard or wherever they were like that was the easter bunny visiting you oh wow i had no idea that easter bunny had a connection back to Something yeah. Religious. So, and maybe this is just be the like the the algorithm that the that Google has trapped me into because I'm a lot of times looking up religious content or something like that. But pretty much all of our major holidays have a religious explanation and a secular exp- explanation, and usually the origins are muddy, but it's one or the other, and then the other side came in and tried to claim it for their own purposes, and so that's how we ended up with a lot of our holidays hmm. that's so interesting yeah uh and then finally obviously we've talked about a bunch you can dye your eggs i'm ranking that as number one because it's the only one i've ever done and <laughs> any other thoughts on that um no the only thing that's coming to mind um when it comes to eggs for easter though and thinking about like how they've become like a secular way to celebrate the holiday um but then like i don't know church world kind of tried to take the easter egg back um did you ever do those i think they're called resurrection eggs where inside there's like a miniature thorn or no no no, like a miniature piece of cloth or a miniature baby jesus um and you're supposed to open them up and it helps kids learn the resurrection story and the easter story as a whole no, I have never heard of that. I'm so glad you didn't go the direction I was thinking you were going, which was going to be like they were going to have some like abridged version of the gospel and you were supposed to like hide them around town in restaurants or businesses or something. I mean, then, why not? Uh, why uh, not? Spread we, the good news, babe. Okay, we are pro-relationship <laughs> and conversation and evangelism. <laughs> so, yes. yeah. Uh, not the greatest evangelism tactic, but that's why I thought you were going with that. I mean, we we need a, a podcast episode just on evangelism and sure how to do it well. I agree. I agree. Yeah. That's in the pipeline. So okay. um, we'll make sure to get you back on for that one. Would love that. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Well, hey, let's get a little bit more serious here for a minute. Uh, we don't want to recap the entire Easter or Christmas, Christmas, the entire <laughs> resurrection story. You are the reason for the season. The reason for this. Now it's stuck in my head. Um, but because we recognize you're probably going to do that at church. We encourage you to do that at, at your local church. Uh, go to a local church this Sunday. Uh, check out Easter. If you're in the Kansas City area, come to Mission City. We meet at 10 a.m. at uh, Cinemark 20 at, at the johnson drive exit of i-35 uh you can come find us there 10 a.m we'd love to have you uh we meet at that movie theater there but uh, we do want to give maybe a different angle on the story and give you five perspectives of different characters that are involved in the easter story maybe put their perspective in front of you and give you the opportunity as the audience as the listener to think about maybe how you can relate to these characters Uh, i think we all kind of relate to each of these characters in a different way. And I would just encourage you as you're listening to us talk about them, Sarah's going to give some feedback on how she relates to each one as I kind of describe who they are and their different role in the story. 
But be thinking about how that perspective, if you were in that time, if you maybe even were that person, like what your perspective of them would be, uh, how you would be perceiving Jesus at this time. Uh, it's a really interesting study to do and kind of maybe prepare your heart for uh, the Resurrection Sunday that's about to take place. So you ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so our first uh, kind of perspective is going to be from Peter. And so Peter is obviously one of Jesus' disciples. Uh, he is, uh, we see him in the Easter story, begins um, in Matthew chapter 16. He's resistant to Jesus' death. This is the first time that Jesus kind of foretells to the disciples that he is going to eventually die and be given over. In Matthew 16, 21 through 22, it says this, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, the importance here and the way that you can kind of relate to this from Peter's perspective is like if you're walking with Jesus, like the, the real, like the physical Jesus the person that you believe is the son of God, the person that you believe not only is the son of God, but but that your ancestors kind of painted in a picture of to be this like living king, this physical version that's going to uh, make Israel a, a, a dominant nation on the, the world landscape again, that you would no longer be under the rule of a foreign country. And he's telling you that he's going to die. And actually that's how the kingdom is going to be built is by his death. You're thinking like, no, like you're the hero of the story. The heroes don't die. And so Peter kind of rebukes him. I, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I I feel like I relate a lot to Peter in um, his pursuit of justice. Like, I don't think his heart is wrong in what he's saying. And like later on when he denies Jesus um, or when he, he tells Jesus, like, I'm not going to deny you he comes at it with a lot of passion and a lot of like just justice and righteousness. Um, and I so often can relate to that. Like, I just want to jump on the train of like, this is what's right. Let me hold on to that and fight for it. Um, and yet like we see, Oh, Jesus's kingdom is backwards. And like, it's not always like our sin gets in the way of, of sometimes that pursuit of justice. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up about him kind of boldly proclaiming um, that he would never deny Jesus because this is something that gets lost. Uh, I find this to be so fascinating that we focus on Peter as the one who says that he's not going to and then does. Like that's yeah. He's kind of this central character that we see actually described in the scriptures as saying that he wouldn't and then does. Mm -hmm. um, but if you read, uh, at least in my ESV translation, in the passage in Matthew when, it, when he says, I will not deny you, it ends that phrase by saying, and all the disciples said the same. Mm. And yet Jesus, when he first says, all of you will deny me. Yeah. And Peter's like, well, if I, th even if they all do, I won't. And then right. the disciples all agree with him. But Peter's the only one that we ever blame for denying Jesus, Oof. even though they all do and they all agreed not to. I think that's fascinating, but he's the leader, right? He's like kind of maybe not the leader, but the most outspoken one, at least he's kind of boldly regularly doing that. Um, so he's, he's with Jesus at the Passover meal. He's telling Jesus he'd never leave him. Um, and he's even willing to go as far as to physically hurt uh, someone who's coming to take Jesus away. This is also another fascinating thing. 
So uh, two things that I think really stood out to me about this as I was reading. Uh, number one is that the naming of Peter as the person with the sword who cuts off the ear of the of the um, high priest's assistant or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's only found in John. The reason why it's only found in John's gospel is because John was the only of the four writers that was actually there. The other mm-hmm. three were not brought into the Garden of Gethsemane. They were with Jesus. He takes... Peter, James, and John to go pray with him. And then so John's the only one that's actually there to see that it's Peter's the one that takes out the sword, right? Okay, yeah. So that's number one. I thought that was really interesting. Number two is that um, Jesus continually asked the disciples to go and pray with him, right? And he asked them to stand guard. He asked them to, to be spiritually present with him, right? And yet they fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And it happens multiple times where Jesus comes back. You can't stay awake. I'm my soul is vexed to death. I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me and keep watch? And they fall asleep doing that. However, Peter's willing to go to the length of taking out his sword and attacking someone for Jesus. So he can't do the spiritual unseen thing. That would be what Jesus asked him to do. But he's willing to do the physical, aggressive thing that Jesus didn't ask him to do. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that, that that, for me, as I look at Peter's story and his perspective in this whole thing, mm-hmm. is that time and time again, he's trying to be the thing that's so like out front of us, that's so tangible and physical in front of us, right. but misses the spiritual, unseen application that Jesus is trying to pull out of him the whole time. Yeah, it makes me it that kind of like highlights even more just how like backwards the kingdom of Jesus really is. Yeah, from our from our typical perspective. Right. Like, right. you know, we're expecting this dominant king. Peter thinks Jesus like can't go and die because he's king. He's not worthy of a death like that. Right. Um and then again, like let me defend you physically. Uh, and Jesus says, no, like sit down and pray for me. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's great. Okay. And then finally we, our final scene that we see Peter in, uh, is in the end of John. It's in the last, one of the last chapters of John when Peter sees Jesus on the beach and he makes breakfast and there's this whole beautiful redemption scene where Jesus is asking Peter if he, if he loves him. And Peter says, yes, and I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And yes, I love you. And this happens three times and to bring complete redemption to the three times that Peter denied Jesus the night of his uh, betrayal. And I, I just find that to be like just such a beautiful uh, picture of Jesus caring for his disciples. Like, mm-hmm. like he could have gone, you know, Peter has found salvation, had a belief in Jesus, all of that. But he would have carried those denials with him the rest of his life, I feel like. Um, yeah. And I'm obviously assuming a lot here. But P- but Jesus makes a point to set Peter's greatest like downfall right with him by like physically having him uh, you know, tell him over and over to, to kind of counterbalance the three denials that he loves him three times. Yeah. Do you think Peter in that moment realized what was happening? I think he doesn't realize until the last time he says it. Then he begins to weep. Mm. And um, and he actually has like almost like a, a frustrated response the final time. Like, you know I love you. 
um, and then it kind of all washes over him. That's my that's my uh, interpretation of how the story goes, anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's Peter. Um, let's move on to Judas, uh, the one that you know betrays <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But also, isn't he okay? Obviously, he's the bad guy or one of the bad guys in the story. But as I was thinking about this and praying through, you know, who really Judas was, it struck me how relatable his story really is, as weird as that may sound. So let's get into it. Number one, Judas leaves everything to follow Jesus. Like he's one of the 12 disciples that follows Jesus throughout his ministry. I think we forget about that as he's like the the deceiver, the one that betrayed Jesus, but like was willing to leave everything to follow Jesus wherever he went. I think that's important that we establish that baseline. And it was it for three full years, all of Jesus's ministry, or yeah, about three and a half years. Do we know when he joined? About, uh, no, I, I, I don't like. I don't think I have that exactly down. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jesus's adult ministry was about three and a half years, or it was thought to be that long. And so, you know, there's a significant amount of time that mm-hmm. Jesus has left home to go and travel when walk with Jesus and be with him. Right. Like his life was put on hold to follow this man. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Which kind of makes it interesting that after so much time and seeing so many things, but it almost makes you wonder if maybe those physical signs that he was seeing was just playing into the narrative again, that he expected Jesus to be this physical King. And what's interesting is when you see Judas actually betray Jesus, it's right after he's anointed with oil and he, is, has this woman anoint him with oil and the disciples all talk about how this could have been sold for a large sum of money and how it could have been given to the poor. And Jesus comes back with kind of this message of like, the, you'll always have the poor, but you'll just for a certain time have me with you. And she's done a beautiful thing and kind of changes the perspective on them. But they've been in Jerusalem and all these events that Jesus has been talking about are playing out. And Judas is going, you're supposed to be the king why are we hanging out with these people? Why mm-hmm. haven't you taken over the throne and thrown uh, thrown Rome out of here? Why are you associating with this person? Aren't you supposed to be doing good deeds? Aren't we supposed to be raising up the community around us? Aren't we like it's almost like you could see if you looked at it strictly from just his perspective, there's this boil up that's happening as the as from the time Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem to the time that he betrays him like he's just kind of had this boiling at least that's how I'm picturing it his his perspective is he just had this kind of boiling anger that's been been readying up yeah honestly it it kind of scares me to really stop and think about what we're talking about with Judas um because I can remember as a young believer thinking like being really confused about the Holy Spirit and why Jesus left this earth and like didn't come back. And I always thought that my faith would come so much easier if Jesus was actually here on earth and I could see him and I could watch the miracles take place. But we have a, a man, a picture of a man who actually got to see that and experienced Jesus in his life right and he well and so uh and he has this impulsive reaction to jesus not being who he thought he would be right which Mm. i don't know i'm not saying that like no believer has doesn't fall in his category but a lot of if not most of the believers that i've met at some point in just hearing their story and how they relate to jesus some point they've had something that they were asking for from god that didn't 
happen or mm-hmm. they didn't receive it. And a lot of times we impulsively react in this like, okay, God doesn't exist or God's not with me or what if it's not true or like all of these things, all these thoughts, all these doubts start to creep up in our minds. And we might even turn to a sin for a while or turn to um, like something else to fulfill that like spiritual hole that we're looking for and found in Jesus. And so that's the same thing that, that he's doing in this, in this section. It's just, it ends up being the death of Jesus that, that it causes. So my takeaway from Judas is just that, like, how much more I need to pray and fervently ask the Spirit to give me faith, because it doesn't matter clearly if you just walk with Jesus in your daily life and you're seeing him, like, you can still stumble completely and lack faith. Um, And so, like, how much more do I need the Spirit to give me that faith? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, let's get through these next two. We'll go a little bit more, a little bit more quickly through them. Mm-hmm. They have smaller parts in the story, but also significant ones and ones that we can relate to as well. Uh, the next character is Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas is a proven criminal. He's an enemy to the gospel. He's kind of this like military insurgent. Uh, he is completely consumed by his own desires, willing to rob and steal and kill to get what he wants or what he's trying to accomplish. Uh, he's meant he's meant by the Roman governor to be uh, killed uh, to, for death and destruction. Like it's just he is meant to be crucified. He's meant to take like he's guilty, mm-hmm. right? He is guilty and due for pain and suffering and death. And yet, when the opportunity arises, Jesus is the one that takes his place. Yeah, he's literally the perfect picture of my life before Jesus and my life. Well, he's not the picture of my life after Jesus, but like <laughs> he is me before before I exactly knew Jesus and started walking with him. Exactly. And Jesus took on that pain and suffering for crimes he didn't commit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's Barabbas. And I think we all relate to Barabbas if you're a believer in some context. Even if you're not, you do. You might just not realize it. <laughs> you're, um, you're Barabbas right now. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so Pilate also is a character that has significant uh, a pl- significant place in the story of Jesus. Uh, he's given the opportunity to believe in Jesus. Uh, he's even approached by his wife, saying, uh, "Do not harm this man. I've had these dreams that are you know afflicting me, and please don't do anything about him." Um, he was told that Jesus was worthy of protecting, but he gives up in pr- under the pressure of the mob. And there's this really interesting scene, and this is the part that I think stands out to me the most about uh, this like pilot character in the story. There's a scene where he is about to, he's asking the religious leaders if they want Jesus to be crucified or what he should do with him, right? And after they decide that they want to crucify him, he takes out a bowl of water and washes his hands, symbolically showing to everyone witnessing that he is not guilty of what's about to happen to Jesus. And I find that to be fascinating because I, in my head, it's crazy, or maybe it's just a fallacy uh, to think that because he didn't actually give the order himself for Jesus to be crucified, he's not guilty in some way. Like the fact that he has all authority to release Jesus makes him guilty of Jesus being crucified in some way. And yet he does this whole like, oh, I'm big, bad, tough guy. I just wash my hands and this is not my fault. This is your problem. And like, 
No, like, you're guilty, man. You had complete authority to release Jesus, and you didn't. Right? Yeah. Yeah, in kind of a less energetic way, like, this actually makes me really sad thinking about it. My initial thought is our country right now, and our culture, and, like, so many of my friends that like they're they're not as bad as so and so or like they didn't make these types of sins they try to be a good person they are symbolically washing their hands and like they're missing it they're missing the king yeah i think it's the whole this is what you're trying to describe like the whole paradox of i'm a good person makes me gives me the past that i didn't play a role in killing jesus or like you know my sins did not hold him on the cross and that's just not true like we like Pilate, whether we acknowledge it or not all play a role in why jesus went to the cross you know because he knew that we would all fall short of the glory of god that we'd all sin that we'd Mm -hmm. all be needing of redemption and needing of salvation whether we acknowledge it or not yeah (laughs) Pilate was blind to Right. Those actions. And I I know so many of my close personal friends are blind to yeah. to that sin too. Yep. Mm-hmm. And finally, that brings us to Jesus. The key figure, obviously, in this whole narrative. And Jesus is Savior. And he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. But he chooses to be a servant to all when he could have a kingdom, a physical kingdom set up. Uh, he's actually offered that. I don't know if this is actually, you know, obviously scripture kind of takes place in the, in the way that it does because of the way God intended it to. But if you go back to his temptation in the wilderness, Satan actually offers to give him the kingdoms of the world, make him a ruler over the physical earth, right? And so um, gives that up to be the servant to all, the sacrifice savior. Um, and, um, you know, I think we, we, we miss sometimes too that Jesus was also... I don't know if frightened or scared is too harsh, um, but anxious maybe, um, you know, not in love with the idea of going to the cross as probably we all would be. But he has this moment in the garden when he's praying before the soldiers come to take him or the religious leaders come to take him. And he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And I think that's the relatable moment for me is just, I'll never be the savior of the world. I'll never be the one that takes the sins away from people. I'll never, hopefully, will not be crucified. Um, However, I can certainly relate to God putting something in front of me that I know I'm not super thrilled about and asking it to be taken away, but also like trying to hold my hand open and say, but not my will, your will be done, right? Like, I think I just that's the most human moment of Jesus' whole life to me and the most relatable moment. Because like most of the time I'm like, gosh, Jesus, like I, I would have never thought of that. You're smarter than I am. You're better than I am. You're wiser than I Like all of those things. But like in this moment, I'm like, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah, it, it makes me emotional to think about the emotions that he was experiencing in the garden and how often like we forget about his humanness in stepping into that sacrifice and um like his humanness mixed with his obedience yeah it it it, it's telling of how real the pain and punishment he was about to face really was it wasn't like he went 
God mode and just mm-hmm. didn't feel any of the lashings or didn't feel the nails in his wrists or in his feet. He didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't able to just overcome and, you know, not have pain. Like mm-hmm. he was, he knew what was about to happen and the, the destruction and the pain and the death that was in front of him. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about like how I probably need to sit with that reality more often. Um, so often I want to like bypass all of that pain. And the verse that's coming to mind is, I don't know the exact reference, but where we learn in scripture that there will be a day when there's no more pain and there's no more suffering. And it's all because he took it. And mm-hmm. it's it's so beautiful and such a sacrifice. And I just don't, like, I don't sit with that enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of a good opportunity. So uh, tomorrow on Good Friday, good opportunity to recognize this. Uh, one thing that I plan to do, um, I haven't told you about this yet, but I think we'll do it together if we're home together. Um, to turn out the lights and to read uh, just the punishment of Jesus and stop there. Like, don't get mm. to the resurrection, don't get to Saturday, don't get to any of that, but just the punishment of Jesus and acknowledge the darkness. There's actually a moment, I think it's for three hours, um, where the sky turns dark, or scripture says the sky turns dark when Jesus gives up his spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you're at home, you can dim the lights or whatever, just, just to acknowledge kind of symbolically the darkness of humanity's opportunity for salvation in that moment. Like the king of glory, the son of God has died. Mm-hmm. He's been beaten. He's been spit on. He's been mocked. He's been whipped. He's been nailed and he's dead. And I think to prepare yourself for that resurrection Sunday, give it some power. Um, I think we'll do that. And I encourage you listening. If you, if you catch this in time to do so yourself as well. Um, any final thoughts for us? That's our five characters. Hopefully you found something to relate to or you've kind of gotten something out of this that's been spiritually enriching for you. Uh, Sarah, do you have anything you want to say before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, if, you, if you're looking for more um, in-depth study or thinking like through this weekend and um, Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, I would encourage our people to seek out information, um, do some studying on if Jesus was truly separated from God, um, Good Friday to Resurrection Sunday, I've learned a lot in my study of it. Um, and we don't, we don't truly know, but, um, it's been enlightening for me and I would encourage anybody listening who has the time and space for that to partake in some studying and learning. Yeah, that's great. It's been said to me or I've read before that uh, people think that the greatest suffering Jesus had was being separated from the Father uh, mm. while on the cross. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the whipping. It wasn't any of that. But his greatest pain was when he says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he no longer was connected to God the Father in that moment. Well, so that's why I would encourage people to, <laughs> to read. Because yeah. from from what I've learned and viewed in scripture and everything. Um, I don't know if he actually was separated. 
Okay. So that's great. We'll we leave can it talk, there. Yeah, we can talk about that yeah. maybe later at dinner. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, so thanks so much for checking out this podcast. Hope this is enriching for you and your Easter Resurrection Sunday experience. We love you all. Uh, catch us back here. We'll be back next Thursday for another episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Happy Easter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at Cinemark 20 off of Johnson Drive and I-35. We also have three community groups that meet every other Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or you can email me at jake at missioncitykc.com.